This free program is paid for by the listeners of Redwood Community Radio. If you're not already a member, please think of joining us. Thank you. 40, 48 degrees outside our Redway studios. We are at KMUD 91.1 FM, KMUE 88.1 FM, and KLAI Laytonville 90.3 FM. Our Eureka and Garberville signals are also on HD. And we have FM translator K258BQ in Shelter Cove at 99.5. The views and opinions expressed throughout the broadcast day are those of the speakers and not necessarily those of the station, its staff, or underwriters. Time will be made available for other viewpoints. Thank you for joining us. And KMUD thanks Jessica Baker of Jade Dragon Acupuncture for her support of Redwood Community Radio. Practicing traditional Chinese medicine, Jessica treats conditions ranging from psoriasis to post-traumatic stress. Located at 607 F Street in Arcata, Jade Dragon Acupuncture can be reached at 822-4300 and online at jadedragonacupuncture.com. Get ready for Ask Your Herb Doctor. Welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. Uh, for those of you who perhaps have never listened to the shows which run every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m., my wife and I are both licensed medical herbalists who trained in England and graduated there with a degree in herbal medicine. We run a clinic in Garberville where we consult with clients about a wide range of conditions and recommend herbal medicine and dietary advice. So you're listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMUD Garberville 91.1 FM and from 730 in fact, what we'll do is, I think this time round, we'll just open up the lines straight off the bat. We normally open them up from 7.30 to 8, but people are welcome to call in uh, any time. So how about that? Um, see what, uh, see what uh, that does to the show's train of thought. Anyway, um, okay, so the end of the show is at 8 o'clock. Um, you're all invited to call in with questions either related or unrelated to this month's subject of ageing and energy reversal. The number here, if you live in the area, is 923-3911. Or if you live outside the area, the toll-free number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. Well, this month, uh, we had a, a small amount to finish up from last month's uh, show on misdiagnosis of thyroid conditions. But something that uh, came, came into the uh, limelight, if you like, and I know it's been looked at for quite a while now, and I know Dr. Pete, who will be joining us in a moment here, has spent a long time researching in his own academic career, uh, and that's the uh, aging process. Well, 
as it is, I, I generally take a look at the news uh, most every day, and I, I look at the BBC news out of uh, kind of a preference, I suppose. And uh, I saw an article in the uh, health section of the BBC News, uh, and the title was, U.S. scientists have performed a dramatic reversal of the aging process in animal studies. And this is what I want to bring out with Dr. Pete's uh, history uh, using uh, things like progesterone and thyroid, which are definitely anti-aging in their own right and energy uh, energy creative and energy uh, uh, reserving uh, products. So anyway, the article, I just want to quickly read the article out and then uh, introduce Dr. Pete onto the show for those people who perhaps have never heard of him before. So the article said that um, they used a chemical to rejuvenate the muscles in mice and said it was the equivalent of transforming a 60-year-old's muscle to that of a 20-year-old. Uh, but they did put in parentheses here, but muscle strength did not improve. So just the general quality of the muscle or, or the health, I think it's more appropriate, the health or the energy readiness of the muscle uh, became that of a 20-year-old's. So their study in the journal Cell identified an entirely new mechanism of aging and then reversed it. Other researchers said it was an exciting finding. And aging is considered a one-way street, but now researchers at Harvard Medical School have shown that some aspects can be reversed. Their research focused on a chemical called NAD, a nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, and, and its levels naturally drop off in the cell of the body with age. Uh, the team showed that this disrupted the function of the cell's inbuilt power stations, the mitochondria, uh, leading to lower energy production and aging as a result. Experiments showed that boosting NAD levels by giving mice a chemical which they naturally convert into NAD could reverse the sands of time. Uh, one week of youth medication in two-year-old mice meant their muscles became akin to those of a six-month-old in terms of mitochondrial function, muscle wastage, inflammation, and insulin resistance, so greatly improved. And Dr. Anna Gomes from the Department of Genetics at Harvard Medical School said, we believe this is quite an important finding. And she argues that muscle strength may return with a longer course of treatment. So is this a cure? Well, thanks so much for joining us uh, this month again, Dr. Pete. Mm -hmm. uh, for those uh, people who have just tuned into the show or maybe have never heard you before, and they have quite a following, and I think those people kind of generally tune into the show, but would you just give uh, people that maybe new listeners an, an outline of your academic and professional mm -hmm. background? In the um, 60s, I had been working in linguistics, but uh, on my own studying, uh, I was very interested in uh, general questions of aging and uh, the brain in particular and how the brain uh, makes consciousness and language possible and uh, how, how that uh, changes during uh, maturation and aging. And uh, so I enrolled at the University of Oregon I was thinking I would study brain biology in 1968 and uh, found that the, uh, the brain biology people were extremely dogmatic, thinking in terms only of, of uh, uh, genetic control, uh, membrane uh, functions, and nothing much in between. And uh, I looked around the department and found that the reproductive biologists uh, seemed to be more scientific and actually looking for an explanation rather than trying to explain things in terms of what they believed they knew. Uh, so I worked on reproductive 
aging, and uh, our lab uh, specialized in the female aging. Uh, and uh, I <clears throat> concentrated on the energy, uh, oxidative metabolism, and the changes occurring in the uterus with aging. And I found that all kinds of stress um, converge with um, the changes that you see during aging, especially in the reproductive system. It was like the, uh, the lining of the uterus was uh, a, a very good model for things that happen in the brain and the whole organism. And uh, all types of stress, from radiation to uh, a bad diet, vitamin E deficiency, the um, uh, de- deficiency of oxygen, all of these things uh, mimicked the changes that you see in aging. Uh, and basically that's, that's the uh, area that I've been thinking about a lot ever since. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, I think the, uh, the, the, some of the language sometimes is a little... Uh, um, difficult for general listeners to get their heads around if they're not medically uh, or physiology minded or trained. And so I think just to open up the uh, subject this evening of aging uh, in light of the research that uh, was uh, broadcast in an article uh, produced by Harvard, the, um, if we want to talk about the, uh, the, the, the two types, the two types of interactions that happen in the aging process that this was looking at in terms of the interaction with DNA uh, with methylation as a uh, additive process which degrades the DNA and the acetylation uh, which apparently is more protective um, they talk about an, an epigenetic modification and I, perhaps if you we mentioned in the past that um, you know unlike most uh, modern thinking that would tell us that we are a result of our genetics and there's nothing much we can do about it. I know that you've found uh, many different uh, research articles that have proved beyond doubt that there very much is uh, something that can be done and the environment in its own right has its own uh, effects on the genes even at a very local and a very, uh, uh, very time-dependent manner. So it's not a case of the genes being fixed in time and space and immutable, uh, but that um, definitely changes can be done in a relatively short space of time. So when, you, when the articles talk about epigenetic modification involved in gene expression, for example, uh, to uh, perhaps uh, stave off cancer or even allow the cancer to exist, would you, would you explain what that is, that epigenetic modification? Luther Burbank was a, a person who explored the influence of the environment. Um, many biologists from the time of Lamarck uh, down through Barbara McClintock, who was ignored until uh, just about 20 years ago. Uh, they sort of uh, pulled her out of obscurity before she died. Uh, these people had demonstrated that uh, the need for a function could elicit the function in an organism so that a stressful environment would cause uh, changes in the chromosomes. Uh, Barbara McClintock referred to jumping genes, uh, but these things were uh, 
actual uh, movement of DNA elicited by stress in the environment. And uh, all of these people for uh, almost 200 years were uh, excluded from science by uh, a very dogmatic view of genetics. Uh, All of the uh, dogmatic view of the geneticists of the 20th century are now defunct completely, (laughs) but uh, they they live on in practice in medicine. Uh Uh, In the last year, uh, several dozen people have asked me what to do uh, because they've discovered that they're a mutant by having a (laughs) DNA test. Uh Uh, There are a couple of popular genes that almost everyone has a mutated form of, Uh, but uh, actually these make almost no difference in health or or function, a very slight uh, nutritional requirement difference. Uh, And if you uh, look at identical twins, uh, despite the fact that all of their DNA is identical Mm -hmm. and they experience the same environment in the uterus, and most of them experience a very similar environment because of their social economic level. Mm -hmm. Despite all of those uh, genetic and environmental overlaps, when you look at a serious disease, uh, there's very little overlap. For example, uh, if one twin has uh, rheumatoid arthritis, there's only a 12% uh, incidence of it in the other twin. And um, that's now well recognized, but still the uh, gene testing industry is is trying to sell the idea that you get sick if you have certain mutated genes. Right. And, so, so you're saying uh, it's more a product of the environment, perhaps in that uh, uh, arthritic-type situation, perhaps? Um, yeah, and constantly, uh, like they put 40 mice, I think, was in a a stimulating environment mm-hmm. and found that just by the choices they made in their daily life, uh, they became very different in personality and behavior just by uh, where they happened to go in the environment influencing what they learned. And uh, over their lifetime, they became uh, very recognizable uh, individuals. And um, that would really upset medicine if they had to consider everyone as a unique as right, as <laughs> individual all the way down yeah. to the, the way their genes work, mm-hmm. because there would be no... It'd be too considerate. Yeah, no exact definition of a disease. It yeah. would be your disease this month. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I wonder what it is in the animals in that mice study, perhaps, that made the individual mice do things differently that gave them a better outcome. Uh, Possibly just uh, which one was was the first one to be weaned and wander off and have an experience. Right. And uh, that stimulated them in a way that the others didn't experience. Okay, go on. uh, The the genes are being used constantly. Everything you do is using your genes in a a certain way that uh, varies according to uh, whether you're awake or asleep, for example. But if you're starving uh, day after day, this is going to pull up uh, 
an accumulation of changes, not just a, a quick on and off effect of day and night or, or uh, incidental experiences, but it will accumulate sort of an inertia and layer after layer will be laid down in the stuff around your genes, uh, attaching carbon atoms to the DNA itself and attaching a, a great variety of uh, molecules to the proteins that handle the genes, the, the histones that surround the chromosomes and uh, move the genes uh, to make them accessible for copying and functioning. Uh, these are uh, relatively easy to change. The methylation is a little more sluggish. And uh, when you're in an extremely stressful situation, a lot of your uh, genes get turned off, methylated especially. Mm -hmm. And those can be identified in the uh, chromosomes that you inherit from your father or mother specifically. Right. So that if your father had a very hard life, you can identify the highly methylated genes in your chromosomes that right. so that's came from that heart life. Uh -huh. So that's inheritable then? Yeah. yeah. And it, uh, in animal experiments, it takes several generations for a very bad generation's experience uh, to uh, be removed when they're put into a normal environment. But if you put them into a super environment like the... Uh, an enriched environment. Enriched, yeah. yeah. It's very stimulating. Uh -huh. You can repair right. the previous generation's damage yeah. very quickly. Mm -hmm. And and some nutrients and drugs can do that. Uh, remove methyl groups from the DNA and uh, attach uh, more of the uh, opening groups to the histones. Okay. All right, well, let's just uh, let people know here. You're listening, listening to Ask Your Herb Doctor on KMED Garbable 91.1 FM, and from now until the end of the show, 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions, either related or unrelated, perhaps, to this month's subject of aging and energy reversal. Um, Dr. Raymond Pete is a uh, specialist in hormone physiology and the aging process, He's having studied it for the last 35 years or so. Um, so... Yeah, let's just tell people the number again. I guess it's 923-3911. Or if you live outside the area, the 800 number is 1-800-KMUD-RAD. That's 1-800-568-3723. Okay, so let's perhaps go on then to the uh, what you've, you've mentioned about methylation and demethylation and how, how that occurs, how that affects the uh, gene, how it silences it, how it allows tumors to grow, and how they have just found now in this, in this piece of research that the, the very presence of this is a very diagnostic indicator for how well the tumor will continue to grow and how switching this off is actually a fairly new approach to cancer therapy. So um, in terms of uh, the process of methylation and how this happening happens and, and how this is also related to... Um, that, that train of thought, a fairly aberrant train of thought perhaps, but that um, fasting is good for you and uh, going without is actually fairly health, healthful and if you starve yourself fairly regularly and live on a very meager uh, caloric intake, you'll actually have a greater chance of longevity and it's not actually true, is it? Uh, no, the, uh, it was definite uh, about uh, 70 years ago uh, a researcher named Mac Clive McKay, I think it was, 
showed that uh, restricting the food supply made animals live longer, but uh, later people restricted the type of food, kept <laughs> down the heavy metals in their diet alone and let them eat all the fat, protein, and carbohydrate they wanted. And they live longer. Actually, Dr. Pete, would you hold it there a minute for us, if you could? We've actually got a couple of callers on the, on the air, so let's get these couple of callers in. Uh, first okay. caller, you're on the air. And, and where are you from, caller? Hi, uh, this is Gina from Kansas. Canada. Kansas. Kansas? Like Kansas City. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, yeah. it's my accent. I'm foreign as well. Oh, no problem. Yeah, we're all, we're all foreign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. What's your question? My question is not about tonight's subject, but it's about uh, um, estrogen and the reduction of estrogen or uh, if there are any herbs that can function as an aromatase inhibitor. I, my situation is that I have, I'm in a high estrogen state. Um, I'm in my 40s, but I am already postmenopausal. I enter menopause very early at about the age of 40. Um, I also have, uh, or I have been diagnosed this year with Hashimoto, Mm -hmm. and um, I have gained uh, a lot of weight, like 40 pounds in just three years. Um, Since the menopause, and I was told that I probably also had the Hashimoto for three years or so, Um, but I have gone from 99 pounds to 139 in just three years. Um, My progesterone is very low, Mm -hmm. even though I am supplementing with Progest-E. Okay. And uh, very high um, FSH and LH. Right. Um, I'm under a lot of stress. uh, So even though the blood test shows the estrogen is low as well, I believe it's only because it's trapped in the cells, mm-hmm. I don't believe I have high estrogen. I don't see how I could, considering I'm fat, I'm under stress, uh, I have um, digestive problems and a lot of other issues. So since I can't raise the progesterone, even with supplementation and diet, such as raw carrot, low fiber, I still can, cannot pull it up. Um, would you suggest perhaps that I should take something as an aromatase inhibitor? Um, well, the, uh, the main aromatase inhibitor that I'm familiar with is uh, from nettle root, and that's really used as a kind of uh, prostatic agent in men to uh, treat benign prostatic hypertrophy uh, by blocking that enzyme. Um, in terms yeah. of... Go on. In, in terms of your condition and what you said about the weight gain and your age, it's not uncommon um, at all for what you're saying uh, to, to occur. It's, it's, uh, happens, I think it happens fairly, fairly commonly. Um, Dr. P, in terms of uh, this lady's supposed low progesterone levels and uh, the estrogen that she's been exposed to having gone into early menopause at 40, um, in terms of, I know that you'd probably be looking at her thyroid function as a main um, a main route with which to uh, treat her situation in terms of uh, her possible now Hashimoto's uh, diagnosis. Um, 
Yeah, almost everyone around the age of 40, uh, that's when the highest ratio of estrogen to progesterone exists. But the trouble is it, the estrogen seems to drop when you measure it in the serum, even though it was at its very highest lifetime level around the age of 40. When progesterone falls, the estrogen can't be released from the cell, and so it doesn't appear in the serum uh, until uh, progesterone uh, affects the cells to release it so that it can be measured. Uh, but that means that uh, even without uh, taking something to increase your progesterone, that uh, the uh, aromatase inhibitors are very uh, practical and logical. Uh, two fruits that contain effective aromatase inhibitors are oranges, oranges yeah. and um, uh, guavas, um, apigenin. So this is naringenin? Uh, yeah, in oranges, and then in guavas, I think that there's one called uh, apigenin. Apigenin, okay. Apigenin. Okay. Uh, and uh, aspirin, uh, by uh, blocking the production of inflammatory prostaglandins, uh, uh, aspirin helps. And the supplement, uh, pregnenolone, uh, is uh, indirectly able to uh, increase your progesterone and lower the uh, estrogen production. Um, the pregnenolone is a precursor to the AGA, correct? It's a what? It precur precursor, yeah. It's oh, precursor, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, my DHEA levels are quite high. <clears throat> So would um, taking pregnenolone make make it even higher? Um, uh, no, the, um, yeah, when your estrogen is uh, not being controlled, it likely overactivates your adrenals. DHEA uh, tends to go up with cortisol, and cortisol is a major activator of aromatase, and uh, the function of of uh, pregnenolone is to lower the excess cortisol and uh, prevent the overstimulation of aromatase. Okay. Um, so if, okay, so if uh, the pregnenolone being a precursor to the AGA, and you explain how that works, but the DHA is also precursor to estrogen, so how would I keep it from producing even more estrogen? Um, sometimes the uh, pregnenolone in itself can do that by lowering the uh, stress hormones, which drive the okay. adrenal right. glands too hard. Uh, and uh, the diet to uh, correct your low thyroid function is probably the basic thing. Uh, estrogen uh, causes basically inflammation of the thyroid gland. It, it, inhibits the ability to secrete thyroid hormone while allowing it to uh, synthesize it and respond to thyroid-stimulating hormone. Uh, and uh, progesterone is needed for the gland to secrete, so you want to uh, do things that lower the um, stress on your thyroid. And polyunsaturated fats are probably the most important factor in blocking the thyroid other than estrogen. Right. 
I, I have eliminated those now, so. Um, okay, well, thank you very much. I appreciate your help. Calcium in the diet is a very important thing for keeping your metabolic rate up and uh, helping to lose weight. How much uh, calcium should I have um, today? Two quarts of low-fat milk uh, will provide a, a, a pretty ideal amount of calcium. Okay, low-fat milk. Okay. Um, would that amount to be influenced by the fact that I have low stomach acid and uh, I don't have a gallbladder, so I don't absorb nutrients as well? Um, yeah, with 1% milk, uh, it's, there's enough to uh, slow the uh, absorption of, of the sugar and protein slightly, but not enough fat to uh, upset your gallbladder. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate that. No, you're very welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, there is another caller on the air, so let's take this next caller before we carry on. Hi, caller. You're on the air, and where are you from? Yes, this is David from Missouri. Oh, hi, David. Hello. Um, so, you know, I, and I, I just thought of something that might be helpful to all of us, and Dr. Pete has really helped me a lot on this, and he's discussed this quite a bit, but... You know, we're at the lowest point in getting sunlight. Mm -hmm. We're getting close to the winter equinox. And uh, I've really been experimenting a lot with, with the red light, you know, using the heat lamps that mm -hmm. is basically like a chicken light that you would yeah. go buy at a hardware store uh -huh. and having a reflector <laughs> on it yeah. and really trying to get more of that light each day. So anybody that's having any kind of problems, uh, a lot of the problems could be coming from the low light situation, mm -hmm. so that yeah. might be a good place to start. So anyway, sure. um, I just wanted to start with that. But uh, the other thing, I just have a few questions about food in general and also about aspirin since you brought up aspirin. Um, one of the problems with buying, like, you know, different brands like Bear and different things, it seems like they have a lot of additives in them. Mm -hmm. And so I've explored different ways of getting aspirin that is pure aspirin. It looks like the only place you can actually buy that is through pet supply places, which always feels a little weird, you know, buying it that way. But then the other thing, and Andrew, you probably know quite a bit about this as well, uh, willow bark, mm -hmm. which I guess is really the source of where bear aspirin originally got their, uh, you know, their yeah. molecule yeah, between, structure to create the, uh, uh -huh. it, that the salicylic acid. Yeah, meadowsweet is also another very good, rich source of... Uh, Acetyl salicylic acid, but I think it was probably the uh, willow bark where it was first uh, synthesized. Yeah, and so I'm just curious, Dr. Pete, what do you think about uh, using the willow bark rather than trying to use some of these aspirin that have all the fillers and different silicate oh. materials in them? Uh, uh, the fillers definitely aren't good. Uh, if you have access to nothing but the pills, I think you should dissolve them in hot water uh, to uh, let the drunk settle out and then just drink the sour water oh, okay i never thought of that okay well, there is quite a few uh chemical supply companies actually that will uh will sell it i think it's not i don't think it's a controlled substance I, dr p as aspirin is not a controlled substance at this point in time is it uh, no <laughs> okay yeah so yeah, okay well that's good i yeah. i it seems like the only 
I, I've done a lot of different searches and called mm-hmm. a lot of places, and it seems like the only place you can find it is like Pet Supply, which yeah. no, no. it seems like in in America sometimes they treat pets better than they do people. As far as <laughs> they don't give them as many so. additives, that's for sure, probably. Yeah, yeah. no, you definitely um, can get. The thing I wanted to ask about was um, on uh, pressure cooking and canning. And the reason I'm thinking along those lines is, you know, we just kind of live in crazy times. So I've been thinking about, you know, trying to come up with some foods that could be canned, like in mason jars. Uh, and I bought a pressure cooker. And so I just want to throw this one recipe that I'm thinking about doing out. And it, it would be potatoes and kale, garlic, onion. And I'm thinking also about using, like, uh, ground lamb and then either cooking that in the pressure cooker in the jar or cooking it before and i'm just curious if you have any thoughts about that i, I would think the main thoughts dr pete would have about that is the uh, onion and garlic side of it <laughs> oh, okay so we would rather not put the onion and garlic in there well only just because some people are fairly sensitive to it and they may not even know it's the onions and the garlic that are doing it. it it's like people eating a lot of vegetables and then having a lot of flatulence and thinking it's quite normal it's actually not good for you, so you're probably better off without it. I think that's the logic. Do you think, Dr. Pete, that the uh, nutrition aspects of the canning would would harm the, the foods? Oh, no. Uh, there were experiments in the 1940s uh, in which rats were fed stuff out of cans, uh, the usual vegetables, beans, corn, uh, all, the, all the standard vegetables. Uh, and the others were fed the same vegetables, fresh and raw. And the animals eating canned vegetables thrived. The others didn't. <laughs> oh, oh, interesting. Mammals, you know, so I'm thinking that the potatoes, because you've talked about potatoes actually being a fairly decent protein, even though I know the starch is a little bit of a problem, but if it's cooked really well. And then I'm thinking the kale is a really good source of minerals and vitamin K, and then um, the lamb fat and the protein in the lamb, I would think, would all be really good. Um, yeah, the um, the uh, well-cooked green leaves are extremely good nutritionally, uh, especially to balance meat, because uh, the, the greens contain very little phosphate, and the meat contains much too much phosphate and too little calcium. So you get a balance when you uh, have greens with meat. Okay, well, good. Well, I'll do some experiments on that and let everybody know how that turned out. But I, 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 it seems like a fairly nutritious product to can. So, um, And then just one other thing, I was curious about calcium chloride. And I don't buy very many foods that have additives in them, but there's one thing that I do buy, and it's actually these um, – it's actually a really good brand of, of pickles. You know, there's very little ingredients in there that I see any problem with other than calcium chloride. I'm just curious, what do you think of calcium chloride? It's been used for making pickles and such, and uh, it it has a nice taste when it's added to food, but uh, it, a lot of people are sensitive either to magnesium chloride or calcium chloride, and so it's good to be cautious with it. It can cause uh, headaches and bowel symptoms of of various types. So if I'm not having any problems that I can sense, then I guess it's it's probably fine. Uh, Yeah, uh, if it's chemically pure, it's good as a a food additive. Okay. 
Okay, well, hey, thank you. Okay, thanks, thanks for your call. Okay. Okay, so uh, the number here, if you live uh, in the area, is 923-3911 or the 800 number is 1-800-568-3723 or 1-800-KMUD-RAD. Okay, so the lines will be open till 8 o'clock. Um, so, Dr. P, uh, you, were gonna, you were starting to uh, talk about um, the... Well, I think the method, between methylation and the uh, compounds that would be useful that were brought out in the article, I know they uh, talked about things like curcumin from uh, turmeric. Uh, they mentioned resveratrol, uh, which I know that you've looked at in fairly good detail. Uh, they also mentioned uh, genistine and diazine, uh, which are other compounds that were useful in uh, switching off that methylation. D- do you have any other... Um, yeah. Any, uh, any other thoughts uh, on that? The caller mentioned the importance of light, and uh, even light uh, can help to uh, reverse the toxic methylation that happens from stress. Uh, um, okay, that to switch off that excit- excitotoxicity. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah, I know we've, we've talked about that in the past, haven't we, about uh, ne- neurons becoming too excited, and that's just as, just as bad as being inactive. So in terms, of, uh, in terms of methylation then, it's a bad process that happens to the genes and it, it can happen through various uh, mechanisms, uh, not least of which can be nutritional. But uh, you've mentioned things like red light. I know we've uh, talked in the past in great detail about thyroid hormone. But is there any other things that would uh, be counterproductive that you could uh, use to counter the uh, methylation in, in the genetics? Um. Some of the um, people who have been told that they have mutated genes uh, are being told by their doctors that they need to eat lots of methyl groups, uh, (laughs) choline uh, and methionine in particular, uh, to make up for the uh, weak uh, gene enzyme. Uh, But uh, the um, American... uh, uh, Medical Genetics, College of Medical Genetics, recently uh, said that that uh, mutation doesn't call for basically any any treatment. It's not significant clinically. Um, uh, but they didn't mention uh, that uh, people with that uh, so-called mutation have a lower incidence of cancer and this probably relates to what we're talking about, the um, epigenetic methylation of the genes of the people who have a slightly weaker methylation system uh, are better off hmm. for cancer risk. <laughs> okay, because I wanted to bring out two, two compounds, uh, that uh, actually anesthetics, uh, lidocaine and procaine, kind of related to the, uh, related to the cocaine type uh, structure. So both lidocaine and procaine um, have a uh, demethylation activity. Is that right for, for the DNA? Uh, yeah, these are being uh, studied in several types of cancer, uh, prostate, breast, uh, pancreas, lung, uh, and melanoma uh, are the ones I've seen. And its effects are just dramatic for uh, reversing those changes that are characteristic of the cancer. Huh. So it, it, it's being considered uh, as a 
an important new approach to cancer treatment, but it's so cheap (laughs) that uh, no one is very enthusiastic about uh, applying to the FDA. It definitely hasn't got a patent on it still, correct? Uh, No. (laughs) And it it costs maybe a a quarter a day or something. Yeah. Oh, dear. Okay. Well, the the other thing, that uh, in that BBC article they mentioned uh, NAD being the, uh, uh, the molecule that was responsible here. And... If I'm right in thinking that um, this compound can be uh, synthesized from tryptophan. Now, I, I don't want to get confused here now. I, have I not heard you mention that uh, excess tryptophan is not good for you? Um, yeah. Um, women in particular are, are very susceptible to too much tryptophan. Uh, they used to be the, the victims of pellagra much more often than mm-hmm. men. That's because estrogen... Uh, redirects the metabolism of tryptophan into uh, serotonin rather than uh, niacin or niacinamide. And uh, when corn is uh, treated with with uh, alkali to make hominy or tortillas, uh, the chemistry uh, shifts it over in that pathway, to, makes niacin out of it, and, and doesn't let uh, so much uh, serotonin be formed. Okay, because th- th- there was another um, another chemical, uh, aspartic acid. Uh, I also saw that was a good source uh, from which NAD could be synthesized, uh, and that was from asparagus uh, and uh, uh, asparagus juice in particular. <laughs> well, uh, you don't want to uh, take uh, plain aspartic acid or no. even with minerals because it's uh, an excitotoxin in itself. How, uh, how about asparagus juice as a source of it? I wonder. Oh, oh, it's fine. Yeah, okay. Um, and uh, another uh, uh, amino acid that's being promoted a lot uh, in the Internet world is uh, uh, either arginine or citrulline. Uh, to increase your nitric oxide, that's going exactly in the wrong direction epigenetically. (laughs) And uh, the um, vitamin B6 is needed to prevent tryptophan being turned into too much serotonin and to help uh, turn it into niacinamide. And uh, simply supplementing niacinamide is a a very direct way to... uh, help uh, reverse these epigenetic uh, problems. Five years ago, when the Harvard people were uh, starting a a drug company, uh, I think it was called uh, Sirtis, S-I-R-T-I-S, which uh, uh, was uh, bought by uh, a big drug company, Glaxo, and they dumped it this year and went on to something else. But, uh, they said that some uh, of the chemicals that were uncovered might be useful in the future. <laughs> um, yeah, at the time, the people promoting resveratrol through that company uh, as an anti-aging chemical were warning that niacinamide uh, antagonized resveratrol and lowered the sirtuins, and uh, that therefore niacinamide would accelerate aging. But I think now they've changed their story and uh, the facts over the, even at, at that time 
five years ago, it was very clear that niacinamide greatly extended cell life. Uh, just a tremendous increase in human uh, cell longevity in vitro. And um, it's very safe, so it, um, it can be used in all of these epigenetic problems, Parkinson's disease, uh, Alzheimer's disease, various types of cancer and so on. Um, and it's interesting that all of these substances that have been known for some of them for thousands of years as anti-inflammatory uh, drugs, uh, they all turn out to work in the same direction, uh, protecting us from over-methylation and uh, over-removal uh, of the uh, acetyl groups from the histones. Okay, hold it there, Dr. Pete. We've got a couple more callers, so let's, let's take the next caller. You're on the air, and where are you from? Uh, actually, someone called in. Quick question, I'll ask for them. Uh, what is the use of lidocaine, and how how is it administered, and what sort of doses are there? And then there is another caller. Right. Not sure about the dose. Lidocaine for no. cancer was the question. Okay. Dr. Pete? Um, these studies have been done in many different ways, but uh, I've had uh, several sort of random experiences with both procaine and lidocaine that uh, were really just amazing to me. Uh, uh, for example, uh, a girl with lifetime uh, terrible eczema, uh, red and scaly all over, uh, she put a handful of, uh, I think it was rubbing alcohol mostly with, with some Novocaine in it, and uh, stroked it up her shin, and uh, with at the same speed that her hand moved up her shin, a wave of normal-looking skin appeared right behind it and it stayed that way and uh, uh, I've seen people uh, with terrible burns uh, if they could get it on in the, the first minute or so uh, the burn stopped and, and didn't develop uh, it, it has antihistamine antiserotonin effects uh, stopping inflammation in the tracks but what it's doing all of these uh, uh, well-known anti-inflammatory things are also uh, undoing the uh, uh, limiting and harmful uh, genetic changes that are caused by by injury yeah it's almost it's almost as if the uh, perception the perception of pain itself accelerates the damage and the inflammation from that which caused uh, the pain and inflammation in the first place it's, it's like a yeah, the, the nerves increase the release of, of the inflammatory materials. Mm. Yeah, if you can block the, the, the signaling of pain, you can greatly reduce the symptoms of whatever the insult was in the first place. Interesting. Okay, we do have another caller on there, so let's take this next caller. Where are you from? They hung up. Oh, they hung up, okay. All right, well, if people would like to call back, the number's 923-3911 uh, or the toll-free numbers 1-800-KMUD-RAD. So the lines will be open till about 5 to 8 here. Okay. Well, going, going back then uh, to, we mentioned the NAD uh, can, be, can be synthesized from tryptophan. Uh, too much tryptophan is not good, especially in, in women with estrogen-related problems. Uh, and then the other thing was the uh, asparagus juice, which also could be a source of uh, a synthesis from that into NAD. You also mentioned um, 
I read a couple of articles about how aspirin enhances the uh, deacetylation of the histones, and the histones were these coils within a chromosome that kind of bundled up, bundled up the uh, DNA. And then aspirin itself was shown to greatly potentiate the effect of the deacetylation, deacetylation rather. Um, and I know you've mentioned, uh, you talk about aspirin a lot as being a very useful, very good anti-inflammatory, very inexpensive and not at all to be uh, considered as a uh, life-threatening drug that will thin your blood and cause hemorrhage. But um, what do you think about the uh, co-administration of aspirin along with that uh, uh, um, deacetylase inhibitor? Um, I think it works by itself or with any of the other uh, protective inhibitors. Uh, Caffeine uh, has some of the same effects, and uh, aspirin and caffeine have been uh, used together in a lot of products. So uh, a combination, all of these seem to work uh, synergistically rather than interfering with each other. Okay. And there was, uh, I think if we want to move on to the uh, anthraquinones uh, as a pretty interesting group of chemicals, I know uh, Powder Arco has uh, been one of these chemicals that has uh, got, a, got a long history of anti-cancer use. But uh, talk about amodin as a, as a compound, this anthraquinone, the reddish, the, the, the chemical that gives the reddish uh, color to those uh, types of uh, chemicals that have that laxative effect, so both cascara uh, and, and amodin, and how they, how they work. If you look at the, the molecule for uh, Powdarco, or is that the same as Lapacho? Yeah. Lapachon? Yeah. Uh, if you put uh, vitamin K and Emodin and uh, Lapachon uh, in a row, uh, and uh, tetracycline, the antibiotic, which is an anti-inflammatory, they're essentially the same structure with a d- different number of rings. Mm-hmm. But it's like each one is an analog of the other, and each one has properties overlapping with those of the other uh, anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer, anti-stress. Can, can, uh, I, hold, can I hold you there? There's, I think there's three callers on the line now, so let's, okay. let's take the first caller. You're on the air, where are you from? Hello, I'm from Arcata. Okay, hi, what's your question? <clears throat> you know, I have a, a problem. I, I've, uh, a couple of years ago, I scalded myself on my abdomen okay. with... Um, uh, I was cooking chicken. Okay. And it, uh, the oil from the, the pan got on my abdomen and, uh, a blister formed. Mm-hmm. And this blister was, was bulbous, you know. Mm-hmm. And since that time, I've had, at intervals, I've had blisters form again and again in the same location. Mm-hmm. And they've even, you know, uh, spreads a little bit. But if you, if I put, <clears throat> I also have the problem where if I put adhesive tape, like a Band-Aid mm-hmm. on my abdomen in that area, mm-hmm. the skin comes off. Mm. Yeah, it's very, very, very uh, loosely connected to the underlying membrane. Yes. Yeah. And, and this has been, you know, uh, it's, the blisters aren't a great problem. It's the... Uh, Quite frequently, having to uh, go through the process of healing from uh, an open uh, 
wound afterwards. Mm-hmm. How, how long after the initial uh, accident have you found these episodes again? Oh, this, this it, it started occurring uh, like four months afterwards. Wow. Um, the blister, the actual blister, and uh, that went away. And then one day I noticed I'd, I'd, I'd taken a shower and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I noticed there was a blister forming. Mm-hmm. And it got very bulbous, about the size um, of a silver dollar or bigger. Okay. And, uh, I mean, just, uh, you know, and now it's, it's happened so frequently that there is, like, scar tissue there. Yeah, yeah. But it's still blisters. Well, Dr. Pete, and, this, this, sounds, this sounds very much like a kind of genetic imprinting, a memory. Uh, um, yeah, and I think the uh, nervous system is probably involved in the helping okay. helping with the memory and um, there is all a, the skin doctors can say is we can replace the skin there yeah you know, um, and uh, I don't think that's inappropriate uh, there's a, a little known branch of medicine I think it was a German who originated uh, I think it was called neural therapy or something like that but it, it involved uh, finding uh, key points and injecting uh, procaine uh, or hmm. local other local anesthetic to change the nervous system and I, I've seen uh, a great variety of good results from applying any of the local anesthetics topically to uh, it apparently helps to uh, retrain the memory of the tissue uh, so that it, it stops uh, producing the, the recurrent problem uh, such as an ingrown toenail or recurring boils in a certain yeah. location. Yes. Um, there are a lot of uh, fairly strong local anesthetic uh, ointments sold over the counter. Yeah, uh, okay. I, I think benzocaine in a small area is effective and safe, but you don't want to use a, a lot of benzocaine on a big area. The procaine yeah. and lidocaine are safer. There we go. Okay. You, you, you could definitely try that because it does sound like there's some kind of imprinted uh, memory in what happened for that. To yeah, it's, 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 I tried to look it up and there were several things I found on the Internet, but none of them suggest no. any type of uh, treatment. No. You know? well, and are... the big thing is that I would have an open sore there yeah. you know, until that healed, mm-hmm. and it healed you know, rather rapidly. Yeah. Uh, except that um, at times it would form a false crust, a false right. scab, mm-hmm. which would come off. Yeah, well, but, you, could, uh, you could definitely try that anesthetic cream and, and try that as a, a next thing to do. Yeah. All right, thank you very much. Yeah, you're very welcome. Okay, I think we have two more callers, so let's get the next caller on the end. Uh, where are you from? Is that me? Yes, you're on the air. Where are you from? Yeah, so I just have a really quick question uh, when that... the. Doctor mentioned uh, about the, the the woman who was used um, alcohol and something else uh, up her shin, mm-hmm. and the, the uh, eczema yeah. just disappeared instantly. What, what, what was the other thing? Was it lidocaine, Doctor Pete, or was it uh, uh, no? That no. that particular one was just uh, novocaine, procaine. Procaine. Okay. All right. It, well, it, thank you. That's that's what I want to know. Okay, you're very it, welcome. It will dissolve in Pure water, shelter. but uh, little alcohol makes it. Uh, dissolve faster. Okay, well, there is another caller, so if we can get the next caller done in two minutes, that would be good. So, where are you from, caller? 
Hello, you're on the air. Maybe not, huh? Okay. Well, let's, let's just leave that. It's probably getting too late anyway. So, um, yeah, we were talking very briefly then, Dr. Pete. We've got a couple of minutes before the end of the show. I know that um, Imodin and um, another laxative from Cascara uh, were definitely used um, to suppress bladder cancer cell uh, growth. I saw an article about that. Uh, do you know much more about Imodin? Um, it's um, about uh, 10 or 15 years ago the... Uh, FDA was attacking it, uh, the <laughs> laxatives of that class, yeah. uh, such as aloe and, and uh, cascara, mm-hmm. as potential causes of cancer. But as soon as they took it off the market, uh, the cancer in- industry started getting interested in it, and it uh, relieves or cures many kinds of cancer. Uh, and it uh, turns out not to have any of the harmful effects that the FDA was claiming. And its mechanism seems to involve uh, not only the usual anti-inflammatory things, but a, a real basic reprogramming, uh, demethylation, and, and uh, uh, inhibiting the histone deacetylase. Hmm. Enzymes. Okay, good. Well, Doctor Pete, I don't want to don't want to keep you going. Thanks so much for joining us. I just want people to uh, find out a little bit more about you and how to uh, get access to the articles that you've written. So, thanks for joining us. Okay. Thank Mer- you. Merry Christmas. Thanks so much for all your help during the year. Okay. Okay, so for those people that have listened to the show, uh, Doctor Raymond Pete, uh, his website can be found at www.raypete.com. Uh, the uh, website is full of articles that are fully referenced uh, about a lot of interesting research that uh, he has done himself and research which he has collated from other independent researchers uh, far and wide. So there's a lot of very interesting information that's very scientifically referenced and backed up. It's not, none of it's uh, just hearsay. So uh, for those people that have listened to the show, um, thanks so much for joining us. And for those people that called in, thanks for your calls. Uh, yeah, it's going to be the uh, solstice tomorrow, or the shortest day of the year, and uh, the days are gradually going to get longer. So right now is the time you need to be thinking about your low thyroid activity and what you can do to help your thyroid through this darkest time until uh, the beginning of the light coming back again. Uh, and, yeah, for all those people that have listened, uh, thanks so much for your input. And we can be reached uh, toll-free toll uh, after business hour, during business hour, sorry, um, for consultations or whatever else uh, you'd like to contact me about. Uh, the number is one eight 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 nine two six four three seven two. 926 4372 And um, Merry Christmas to all of you and a Happy New Year. Okay, my thanks, Jessica Baker of Jade Dragon Acupuncture for her support of Redwood Community Radio. Practicing traditional Chinese medicine, Jessica treats conditions ranging from psoriasis to post-traumatic stress. Located at 607 F Street, Arcata, Jade Dragon Acupuncture can be reached at 822-4300 or online at jadedragonacupuncture.com. This is Redwood Community Radio, KMUD. Garberville 91.1 FM KMUE Eureka 88.1 FM KLAI 90.3 FM and FM Translator K258BQ in Shelter Cove 
at 99.5. We are also live and archived on the web at kmud.org. All of you out of the area, Dr. Pete listeners, check out the archive. You will find incredible programming of all sorts. Thank you very much to Andrew. And get ready, because Cousin Mark is in the house. It's time to get funked up. Please remember that this program is supported by the listener members of Redwood Community Radio. If you like what you hear, please consider becoming a member of KMUD or renewing if you've already joined. A regular yearly membership is $50, but we accept any amount. Help us keep free speech alive. 